it's me, it's me, it's the D-O-double-G, the road dog, Jesse James, and by my side, as always, is that B-A-double-D-A-double crooked letter, badass, Billy Gunn, together we are the New Age Outlaws, and you're listening to the VOC Nation, and if you ain't down with that, he's got two words for you, suck it. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer, the Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, and former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern, and of course, In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. And by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter too, at VOC Nation. Hey guys, welcome back to Talking Sass. And thank you guys so much for joining me. Can you believe that we're less than a month away already from 2021? And I'm hoping that it is the restart that we so desperately need and things can go back to what we knew as normal, right? But you know what? With with it being the beginning of the month, it is the perfect time for you guys to go and subscribe to patreon.com slash sassysteffy. And starting at only $2 for the entire month, that's less than a cup of coffee for an entire month, you're going to get so many great exclusives and goodies. So make sure you go and subscribe because you're not going to want to miss out on word association, rapid fire questions with the guests, and you're going to get the podcast early, know who the guests are early, and lots more surprises that I have up my sleeve for this month. Because you know what? It's December. It's the holidays. I want to spoil you guys. And you know what? Speaking of the holiday season, I have one Christmas wish this year, and that is for all of you to go, however you're listening to the podcast, whether you're watching on YouTube, you're listening on Google or Spotify or iTunes, make sure you go and subscribe. That's right, because you subscribing takes the podcast to another level. And also, if you are on the naughty list this year and you want to get on the good list, what you need to do is make sure you rate Talking Sass with five stars. That's right. Five stars. And that's going to help also take Talking Sass to just a whole nother level in 2021. Now on to today's guest. You guys are in for a treat because I have Chris Van Vliet on and he is a four-time Emmy Award winner. He is a TV host. He is a podcaster who has interviewed literally everybody from the who's who's in wrestling to the who's who's in entertainment business. I mean, it's crazy. You should go back and see some of his interviews. He has over 275,000 followers on YouTube. He is an entrepreneur. And honestly, I don't know how he has the time in his day to get everything accomplished, which I definitely ask him about because I could use some time management skills that he has. So you know what? I'm just going to let him tell you all about it because He's amazing. He's got so much going on, and I can only do it so much justice. So here's Chris Van Vliet. Hey, guys. Welcome back to Talking Sass. I am Sassy Stuffy, of course, and today I have another wonderful guest on on for you guys. He's a four-time Emmy. I have to actually read it because there's so much that he's accomplished. 
He's a four-time Emmy Award winner, 2011 Cosmopolitan Bachelor of the Year, 2013 Personality of the Year broadcast from the Broadcast Hall of Fame, excuse me. He's an entrepreneur. He has over 275,000 subscribers on YouTube and a ton other of achievements I hope that we'll be able to discuss in this time. This is none other than Chris Van Vliet. Thank you for joining me, Chris. Well, thank you so much for having me on. So good to see you again. It's been a while since, uh, since I've seen your face. It has been a while. We did the reverse. Like you're living (laughs) in my country now, you're living in Canada Mm -hmm. and I'm now living in America. Well, yeah, it's funny because we both were in Cleveland at the same time. And then when you went to Miami, I went to Canada. I went to Montreal. That's right. And now you're there (laughs) for for good, I'm thinking. Well, I mean, for the most part, yeah, I think so. Fabian, this will be like one of the eight things I can say in French. <laughs> You're better than me. Trust me. I am very, very poor in my French. I should be I much know. better. I don't, if, I don't know how you could live there without speaking French. I'm very lucky that the area I'm in is very English speaking. So I, okay. work, I work out pretty good here. My job's English, so it's all good. So. <laughs> it's all good. It is. So we actually, for the, we were talking about this prior to going on air. We actually met, and I was so surprised that you remembered because I was going to broadcasting school in Cleveland, and you were actually a reporter with Channel 8, a CB, or yeah, CBS affiliate there, and uh, you were doing a live report, and that's where we met. And I'm surprised because you were going to indie shows in Cleveland. Obviously, I was wrestling at that time as well. So we didn't meet until yes. that day. We met outside the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I remember, exactly. like, how was I going to forget, like, a broadcaster who's also a wrestler? That's, that's pretty tough to forget. <laughs> but I remember you coming up to me, like, I'm in broadcasting school. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And you're like, and I'm also a wrestler. I'm like, this is crazy. Like, what are the odds? Yeah, and it was great because, I mean, obviously, you have, I think, done a couple seminars at my school at that time, too, at OCB. So, I mean, we knew who you were definitely at the uh, Ohio Center for Broadcasting School. So then to go see and actually meet you while you're doing a live broadcast from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, that was pretty awesome. Well, I think the odds of actually running into a news reporter while they're working (laughs) is like, it's extremely rare. Like, you know, you turn on the TV and these people are standing outside of random buildings all the time, but to actually run into someone in quote unquote real life, I think it's just so (laughs) rare. It is, because I mean, I was spending a lot of time in Cleveland doing different things for school, different kind of internships. In fact, I was at WDOK and Q104, and you were a radio personality there too, and I never ran into you. So uh, we are working in the same building. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Yeah. And it's, I love that you bring that up because I was such a huge, I love radio. I, was, I had such a great time working in radio, and obviously I love TV too, but that's funny that our paths never crossed until that day. Yeah, it's very funny. But then I think we saw each other a few times at Prime. Yep. And then also I saw you at WrestleMania 30 going down Bourbon Street, but of course that's kind of a blur because <laughs> WrestleMania weekend on Bourbon Street is not usually a very sober one. No, no you, <laughs> I, I don't think you can be on Bourbon Street and be sober because the, that street would just smell too bad if you were sober. Oh, guaranteed. The I remember- biggest thing they don't talk about there. <laughs> Is how bad Bourbon Street smells. Yes. One of my friends, it was during so the, dur- yeah, definitely. During the daytime, we were on Bourbon Street just walking around. And one of my friends thought it would be funny to sit on the ground at one of the posts that had the road sign that said Bourbon Street to look like he was drunk, even though it's middle of the day. Mm-hmm. And some guy was like, no, 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 no. But my friend doesn't listen to him. And then he's like, I just saw a homeless guy piss there. Oh. Yeah. 
So I was like, oh goodness, my poor, my poor friend. <laughs> actually, actually, you know this friend. He is the guy that owns Ruddy Lad. Oh, I do know him. I almost put that <laughs> shirt on today. He's Man. one of my very good friends. Oh, well, congrats to them and their success and their incredibly super soft tees. That's what I, I tell people that all the time. They're like the most soft tees I've ever worn ever. I wear them everywhere usually. Me too. So soft. It's so comfortable. So shout out to Paul. Thank you, Ruddy Lad. We love you. Your super soft t-shirts. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. <laughs> well, let's talk more because before you came to Cleveland, you, like we said, you're from Canada. You were born in Ontario, but you, you started your first job at CHEX TV in Peter, um, oh God, I can talk today, Peterborough. Ontario, and then you went to Vancouver for MTV2. How was that? So Peterborough, by the way, is Bobby Roode's hometown. So I was working for Chex TV there. Long story short, I was an intern, and as an intern at a small station like that, they put you on air. So two weeks into my internship, I was on the six o'clock news, which was wow. crazy to me. Um, that, you know, that, that's like the very short version of it, but it's something I always wanted to do. I always wanted to be on TV and I had this epiphany in my final year of college where I was like, as soon as this year's done, like we have to go work for the rest <laughs> of our lives. And my whole thing was, I didn't want to have a job that I hated. I want to have a, have a job where I at least kind of enjoyed going to it. So I reached out to every radio station, every TV station in my college town and just said, Hey, I'm a, I'm, I'm a broadcasting student and I'm really passionate about this. Can I come and see how it's done in the real world? And one radio station brought me in, made me part of their street team. So I handed out things at different events. Uh, there was a Rogers community television and they, they'll bring on volunteers to just kind of work behind the scenes. So I did cameras and VTR, audio, floor director. And then this other radio station in Waterloo, Ontario, which is my college town, they said, we don't take on volunteers, but how would you like a job? You could oh, that's wonderful. Doesn't pay much, pays $8 an hour. I'm like, that's $8 more than I thought I was going to make. <laughs> so it all kind of just came together. And then when I graduated, I worked my way into this internship, which ended up turning into a job. And it was cool. It was amazing to be 22 years old and be on television. But I kind of realized like I didn't want to be a news reporter for the rest of my life. Like news is great, but I wanted to be able to showcase some more personality. And I was very incredibly fortunate to audition for a few different shows. And then, yeah, MTV2 Canada came around. I was hosting a show called 969. And my job every day was interviewing musicians, reviewing video games. That's where I did my first ever wrestler interview with Bobby Lashley. And it's, yeah, I've been so fortunate to spend the rest of my career since then working in television and having interesting conversations with interesting people. I, that sounds so much like my time at broadcasting school as well. I mean, I guess that goes for everybody. I was doing TV. I was doing radio. Like I said, I worked at the radio station as a digital intern. But I was doing their street team as well. I did um, an antique uh, sale for PBS. I was one of the lighting directors for that. Hey, I did, nice. Yeah, I did um, a technical directing for a TED Talk, which was pretty cool. Very I cool. mean, who really gets to work on TED Talks? That was awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, it's crazy because we both have like a lot of things in common, it seems just well, kind of to, in the reverse. <laughs> I think to work in, in broadcasting, you have to be willing to put, pay your dues. I mean, that, I think that's the case for a lot of industries, but broadcasting, especially like you have to go in 
and just get your foot in the door any way you can. Just get your foot in the door and then kind of work on it from there. Definitely. And I mean, it's similar to wrestling too, because if you're not paying your dues, I mean, those veterans are going to make sure you know that, hey, that ring needs set up or, you know, uh, somebody needs to be driven from here to there. I mean, there's always something to do in radio and TV broadcasting and also in wrestling. Well, I think the other thing, just like wrestling, is when you get into broadcasting, you think you're really good. And then you, <laughs> and then you watch yourself back after a few months and you're like, oh, that was, I thought that was good. This is terrible. <laughs> well, so after you came to Cleveland, you actually started your YouTube channel, which you have still to this day, but didn't really take it seriously at first. But you started in 2011. So what happened in those seven years that you weren't taking it so seriously? Look, YouTube wasn't really a thing. And I was just putting interviews on there because I wanted them to live somewhere. Because, you know, in the world of television, it goes up on TV and then, you know, kind of just goes out into the ether and then disappears never to be seen again. So I was doing these interviews with celebrities and I was doing these interviews with wrestlers and musicians. We would air 20, 30 seconds of it on TV. And then I'd have the rest of the interview that no one would ever see. And sometimes that was five minutes, sometimes it was 10 minutes, 20 minutes. And I just started thinking to myself, I asked questions that I thought were interesting as a fan. I'm gonna put these on my YouTube channel just so someone else can see this and experience this and enjoy this the way that I did. And my YouTube channel had, I don't know, like 20 subscribers at the time. And I was just putting content on there. There was no plan to this. There was no schedule. I was just putting it on there so that it was kind of like an online like database of like, Here's where my interviews live. And that was it. And I had a few interviews that started to go like a little bit viral. And I didn't even really think about it. It was just like, oh, that's cool. Like a few thousand people, in some cases, a few hundred thousand people were watching these videos. And that was honestly it. And then it was in 2018 when I thought to myself, what if I went out of my way and started actually like making these interviews happen, like in doing it on purpose? What if I was intentional about this? And I would, well, I guess, I guess a little bit before that, if there was a big indie name that was coming to one of the local promotions in Cleveland, I would go out of my way, do an interview, throw it up on my YouTube channel. But in 2018, I said, I'm going to try to do 40 wrestling interviews this year. And to that point, I think the most I'd done was like 16. So this was like a huge step up. <laughs> but I think, you know, I say it all the time, vague goals get vague results. So if you set a specific goal for yourself, you're holding yourself accountable to that. And it also allows you to realize how much progress you've made towards that goal. And I, I set the goal to do 40 interviews. I ended up doing 50 that year. Then last year, I said, well, let's set the goal for 50 this year. That'll be one a week. Ended up doing 100 last year. So I just started to see the potential uh, in having a YouTube channel and being consistent with my posting. And yeah, 2018 really changed things. And my subscribers just started really going up from there. Well, like I said, you have over 275,000. That's like astronomical to some people. Like me, I my subscribers, I'm at like 160 right now. So like thinking to go to 275,000 is just like, that's a goal I hope to reach in like 10 years and you did it in less than two. Well, it's, it's like really slow progress though. Yeah. So to know that you have 160 is actually really good because the benchmarks in YouTube are 100. Because at 100, you can unlock a few different things. A thousand, you can unlock some more things. And then maybe 10,000, 100,000 from there. But yeah, you're on your way. 
it's slow it's slow but you know what like this is i believe like my eighth or ninth episode and so to say i have 160 i'm kind of proud of that you know it's it's slow but hey there's an audience there so it's good it's slow for now but then one day you're gonna wake up and it's gonna like double triple quadruple <laughs> and you're gonna go what happened here because that's what happened with me i did an interview in i think it was 2011 yes it was 2011 with the miz he was about to throw out the first pitch at Progressive Field for the Indians game. I did a very quick, like, four-minute interview with him. And in that interview, he said something that he hadn't really spoken about. He said that he got knocked unconscious at WrestleMania 27 and doesn't remember the main event. It's like, yeah, biggest moment of my career. I don't remember it. I'm like, oh, that's crazy. I didn't really think of anything of it at, the moment, at that moment. And then I put it up on my YouTube channel a few days later that video just started like spiking. That video just started like taking off. And I realized that other people had picked it up and put it on Reddit or on their dirt sheet or whatever. And I was like, oh, there's, there's, something, there's something to this here. Like there's something to this. If something's newsworthy in one of these interviews, maybe a few people will see it. And that's kind of what really got the wheels turning in my head. And you've, I mean, you've had The Miz and Ziggler on like multiple times being from Cleveland. You guys really became, I don't know, maybe good friends or whatever. But I mean, you guys definitely have had quite a few interviews and you've had them on at the same time a few times as well. And so Dolph Ziggler has been just so kind to me. He, I've interviewed him more than anyone in my entire career. That's celebrity, that's musician, wrestler, whatever. And he's just been so nice, so kind to me. Like one of the last interviews I did was uh, at his hotel room. He had like an hour of free time before he was going to a comedy show. And I'm like, yeah, man. I'll drive over there and let's do this. It was like a two hour drive to go over there. He invited me to his house for an interview. He's just been so, so kind. And I think a lot of that, as you know, is that Cleveland connection. Yeah, when, definitely. When you, when you run into someone or you meet someone and they're from Cleveland and you're from Cleveland, it's like, boom, you automatically just like, you just hit it off. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, I know Ziggler as well. And he's always been so kind. And there was one year he was in town for Christmas and like I went to the bar with him and both of his brothers. Like, you know, who that does sounds that? Like trouble. That's <laughs> Definitely. That sounds like. <laughs> it was all fun. It was all good fun. But I mean, we had a good time, but it's actually funny. I a story from that. I was actually closer friends with his brother, Ryan. And I was like, Hey, what if we ask your brother to take a picture? And he's like, of us. And I was like, of course. So we asked Ziggler like, Hey, can we have a picture? And can you take it of us? And he's like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> At first? But it was awesome. He's, he's a super sweet guy. Always. Yeah, he's such a good guy. Every time I see him, just happy to talk to anybody, and especially that Cleveland connection. He's one. You mentioned earlier, well, pre, before we started here, that my accent had changed, and he is one that has told me that as well when I have seen him. He's like, oh, you don't sound like you're from Cleveland anymore. I was yeah, like, you, de you definitely have a Canadian accent now. Uh, I got to work on that. Don't worry. Nobody in Canada <laughs> thinks they have an accent. It's true. But you know what? It's funny because being from Quebec, like I can tell like a French Quebec accent compared to a regular accent, but they oh, think yeah. they don't have an accent either, but it is very strong. Well, you don't have like the Quebec accent like Georges no. St. Pierre or anything like that. Yeah. I'm still like, I like to say French Canadians, like they have that very thick, heavy accent. Like when they speak their words, they're kind of like, I don't know, push together a little bit. Like they don't enunciate very well. So like you can definitely tell that they're from Quebec. I'll never forget when George St. Pierre came out in UFC and he was like, I am not impressed with your performance. And I'm like, yep, that's, that is someone from Quebec right there. Definitely. Definitely. I hear that on the regular. That's for sure. 
So once you moved away from Cleveland, actually, one thing I do want to talk about, you won one of your Emmys in Cleveland for a report you did on Gregory Iron. And I thought that was incredible because Greg Iron, for those who don't know, is a wrestler in the Cleveland area who wrestles with cerebral palsy. He, I think it's his right hand, right, that he doesn't have um, complete control of. And he still yeah. is this just fantastic wrestler, wrestles with this disability. And he, for a while there, he was doing big things. Well, not only does he wrestle with his disability, but he owns it. And, yeah. and in, in fact, his own words are, instead of focusing on the things that I can't do with my disability, I'm going to focus on the things that I can do, you know, in spite of it. So I got to know Greg pretty well. And, you know, I was a ring announcer for many of his different shows. I got to know him really well. And he's so inspiring because not only does he wrestle with cerebral palsy, he's the only wrestler in the world who wrestles with cerebral palsy. So it was such an honor and a privilege to be able to tell his story and for it to be recognized at that level and to win one of these Emmys that's sitting behind me here, that just meant so, so, so much. And I can only imagine like having Greg's story being told and you winning an Emmy for that. I mean, how did Greg react to that? Look, Greg was great from day one when I told him I wanted to do this. He was like, me? You want to tell a story about me? Like, he was very humbled about it. And he welcomed me into his home to do the interview. He welcomed me backstage to, to get lots of footage. And first we got nominated. And I think for both of us, that was just cool enough. Like we got nominated for this Emmy Award. And then to actually win, and I ended up winning two Emmy Awards that night. It was a really special thing. And you, you, know, you wanna talk about moving from Canada to the US. I guess I don't really talk about this very much, but winning those Emmys, were actually, they were a really big step in me being able to get a green card. Oh, wow, really? Because when, when, you, when you work in television and you're applying for a green card, they want to like see that you, you're not taking jobs away from other Americans. So they want right. to uh, know that you've you know, won some awards. Basically, you've done something to make yourself stand out. And winning those Emmys actually like really helped that process out a lot. Wow, that's crazy because it's very similar with wrestling because uh, uh, independent wrestlers here can't even go to the States to wrestle because they don't want you taking jobs away from Americans. Even if your yep. payday is like 20 bucks and, you know, a hot dog after the show, they don't <laughs> want you taking, you know, jobs away from Americans. So that's crazy that like that helped in your green card situation, showing that you were going above and beyond what other people were doing and that you were a valued person at your station or wherever you were at that time. And it's all thanks to Greg. You know, it really is. It was big thanks to Greg for like allowing me to tell that story because it's a really personal story. And for us to be able to tell it meant, yeah, it meant a lot to me. Oh, I can imagine. I was on many shows with Greg at the time in Cleveland and I mean, such a great guy, like you said, and I never really got to know him that well because I was never like interacting with him much on shows. Like it was always kind of high by kind of situations, but like always outstanding, you know, made sure he paid respect to everybody by saying hello, like you should and you know, all that. So it's great that Greg got noticed for that. And then, I mean, he took off with a lot of different things. There was at one point for the Royal Rumble when they were, that people were having a, petition for Greg to be in the Royal Rumble and it got a lot of traction. It did get a lot of traction. Yeah. I mean, and he's done such great stuff with, you know, another good friend of ours, uh, Zach Gowan with the handicap heroes. Like, yeah, look, Greg is awesome. And I will 
you know, I'll be his friend forever, but I'll never forget the fact that he welcomed me into his home and allowed me to tell his story. Definitely. That's such a great story that you can even tell because I mean, well, you said you've been at Ziegler's house too, but there's so many people that are just off, like it's off guard, you know, you're not allowed to enter the house. Just like, okay, we'll do an interview at, you know, the show or down the street or something, but to be invited into somebody's house, that's, you know, that's the level of trust that they have with you. Well, now I'm doing these like much longer interviews and it's like, yeah, I guess we could do it backstage at a show, but I really want to get in depth. Mm -hmm. And I want to get some real insight here. And, you know, my interviews now are 45 minutes to an hour long. And I think being in someone's house is actually like a perfect setting for that. It's their own home turf and you're the visitor coming in there, you know, to the place that they're comfortable. So it's like, yeah, let's, let's make this as, in, like, as comfortable as possible for, for you. And, you know, we'll just have a conversation. Well, I think that too, if you're in somebody's house, that's, they might let their guard down a bit more too in that case, because they are comfortable. They might give you information or you might ask a certain question that gives that they'll give a little bit more information because they're like, Oh, I'm just sitting at home with a friend. Yeah. There's yeah, cameras, which, but yeah. Which is why I love doing my interviews in person. Obviously, you know, it's such a weird time right now and that's <laughs> not really possible, but that's why before COVID, I loved being able to sit down with someone, shake their hand, look them in the eyes, feel their energy. And sure, technology is amazing right now. And I'm so incredibly grateful that we can have conversations like this from one country to another, from one time <laughs> zone to another, but nothing beats being able to shake someone's hand to be able to hug someone. And, and I look forward to a world where we can do that, you know, again, hopefully soon. Oh, definitely. But you've been doing some interviews from home too. I mean, just recently yep. you did Lillian Garcia, you visited her home and you were with uh, Taya Valkyrie at her home recently. So uh, the COVID uh, restrictions in the US are a lot more lax than here in Canada, especially in Quebec. I don't know about the other areas, but if you have one person over in your house and they're not like helping, like say, take care of an elderly or a kid or something, you can get up to a $5,000 fine right now. Well, don't, don't tell anyone then. Don't <laughs> let anyone know that I've been going to other people's houses for this. Well, this is in Canada. So like I said, it's a lot more lax there in, uh, in the US, so. My Crazy. mom wants me to come home for Christmas. And of course I want to go home. I haven't been home in a year because of COVID. But if I want to go home, I have to fly in and quarantine for 14 days. Yeah. So I don't know how I'm going to do this, but and, definitely want to see the family. And they call and make sure that you're not going out. My father-in-law just came back from Greece. He lives here, but he went to Greece and he came back and they kept calling his house to make sure that he was in the house at all times. So it, <laughs> they're, they're strict. I mean, I don't know how it would be with an American coming into Canada. Maybe they wouldn't call you because you don't live here, but him coming from another country, they're making sure that they did They'd that. They'd probably be extra concerned with someone coming from the U.S., Maybe that's true. You guys got a lot more cases than we do so, here in Canada. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> but at least you're able to keep upbeat about it. I mean, most people are like, oh, COVID, but like, you're like, no, it's okay. You know, you're still doing your interviews. Technology's good. You, that's one thing I love about watching all of your interviews is you are always positive. I never hear anything like super negative. Well, look, we, in the wrestling business, as you know, there is so much negativity so much negativity, whether you're a wrestler, whether you're a ring announcer, a referee, or whether you're a fan, there's just, you're inundated with negativity. And I think in every single situation, 
there's what's wrong and there's what's right. There's the positive and there's the negative. And I'd much rather look at the positive. I'd much rather look at the glass being half full, especially in this crazy world where someone's going to watch Raw or Dynamite or SmackDown or Impact or whatever it happens to be. They're just going to pick out the things they didn't like about it. It's like, no, let's focus on the things that we did like about that. So I look, I've always kind of been this way in my life where, you know, you control your own destiny. And John Cena actually said it to me and I'll never forget it. He said, control the controllable. You know, you have the control in your life on what it is that you want to focus on. And the things that you don't have control over, you have the control over how you want to react to those things. And that's always stuck with me. And I, I think about that in every situation that I'm in. And I would much rather lead with positivity than lead with negativity. Definitely. I can, I can definitely agree with that. And also speaking of John Cena, there is one, you've done multiple uh, interviews with him, obviously, but the one that I just found so entertaining, I think it might've been a WrestleMania weekend. You were like, Oh, I I don't want to, you know, take up too much of your time. He's like, no, go ahead and ask. And you're like, okay. So you ask like another two, three, three minutes worth of questions. And then you're like, okay, I'll let you go. And he's like, no, no, it's okay. I'm here. I'm talking to you. That's it. (laughs) It was was so wild. And look, that's the busiest weekend of the year. If you're a wrestler of any sort, not to mention if you're John Cena, you know, who's probably every minute of his weekend is planned out. But so to kind of give a little bit of a backstory, I showed up, he was working out at a gym. We planned to do this interview at a gym. And he texted me and said, Hey, I'm ready to do this. And we were standing like ready to go. We were so ready. We knew we had 10 minutes to do this interview. And he texts me and says, I can't see you. And I'm not trying to be funny, you know, cause you can't see me. <laughs> right. This is great. So finally he shows up as soon as he like shake his hand, camera starts rolling. We're doing this interview. Cause we knew we had 10 minutes exactly. So at the 10 minute mark, I go to wrap this thing up and he goes, Oh, hold on a second. Pulls his phone out. You still got some more time. Okay. So I asked, like, like you said, a few more questions. Then I went to wrap it up again. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. You got time for one more. What? <laughs> and the fact that he was not only generous to give me those initial 10 minutes, but then so generous to give me an additional however many minutes that was, it was incredible. And John Cena is in the position that he's in now because he treats other people like that. It's that whole concept of like, you know, treat the janitor the same way you treat the CEO. Like treating me who recorded that interview on my iPhone with a microphone, the same the way that he would treat ESPN or Sports Illustrated or, you know, Oprah. I don't know, you know, it was just so great that he showed me that much respect. And, you know, I'm I'm forever grateful to him for that. Yeah, I mean, he's not the only mega superstar that like, really goes out of his way to talk to you. One person I know who you just idolize is The Rock. And I know jokingly he did this, but I still find it hilarious. He actually gave you the middle finger during a live show in Miami. How did you explain that to your boss that The Rock just gave you a middle finger on TV? So I didn't know this happened. So if you watch the video back, uh, to make a long story short, we were supposed to do this interview like half an hour before. And we were on a red carpet. You can never really time out the situation of a red carpet, but we were going to be live on the air at 7.41, I believe. And the red carpet was supposed to start at 7. So we thought, oh, we'll get the rock, you know, like 7.15 or so. We'll do the interview. We'll feed it back to the TV station. And at 7.41, I'll say, hey, I talked to the rock earlier and here's what he said. 
Well, the way it worked out with the timing, we were just about to go into commercial break and the rock's like working his way down the red carpet and about to come to us. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Like, this is terrible timing. Like, what if the rock starts talking to us during the commercial break? Which is exactly what happened. So the rock's talking to us during the commercial break and my, my producer's in my ears saying, whatever you do, keep this going. We need to get the rock live. Like, just keep talking, keep him there. So I'm, I'm just keep the conversation going. Finally, we're right back live. They go right from the commercial to us. And I say to The Rock, I said, oh, you know, we're, we're live right now on Deco Drive. And he goes, oh, we're live. I can say anything I want. And I'm like, well, yeah, you, know, you could, but let, you know, let's, let's not. And that's still in his mind that we're live. So I turned to the camera to do a people's eyebrow off with The Rock. And behind my head, he gave me the middle finger thinking this would be so funny on live TV, I'm giving him the middle finger. I didn't know this happened, so I turn around. Thank you so much, Rock, you're the best. It's always so good to see you. Then I turn to the camera, oh, can you believe, that's the Rock, he's so great, the biggest movie star in the world, talking to us live here, this is amazing. I end the segment and I got a phone call from my boss. They go, yeah, he just flipped you off. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, that's kind of funny, but really? Oh yeah, yeah, he just flipped you off and, uh, they were really worried that we were going to get a fine because if someone complained to the FCC, right. we could have got a fine. Going but back to broadcasting. Fun... Yeah. Going back to broadcasting school, you learn all about that. <laughs> it made for a fun, hilarious, great moment. And then when I saw him a few months later, I said, Hey, you know, the last time uh, that we saw each other, you gave me the middle finger. And he's like, Oh, you know what that means? And he did it again. I'm like, this, this guy, he's the best. <laughs> Do you have such like a good rapport with all of these different people? I mean, you've interviewed, like we've talked about John Cena and now The Rock. I mean, you've done uh, Tom Cruise, which I know was, was one of your bucket list interviews at one time. I know that in the future, like one of your major goals, you know, your vague goals get, you know, your um, vague, results, vague goals yeah. get vague results. Your ultimate interview that you want to do is Vince McMahon. So how far off in the future do you think that one's going to be? Uh, so like, how, how would I put infinite into numbers because i <laughs> like i don't think it, I, I i'm gonna keep putting it out into the world but I, I just don't think it's i don't think it's that possible i mean never say never but i just don't vince mcmahon's not really doing a lot of interviews uh but sure anything's possible anything's possible but i will say i'm incredibly grateful for the interviews i've been able to do i mean yeah you named a handful of people there but it's also been like Denzel and Oprah and Meryl Streep and Jennifer Aniston and, and Gerard Butler and the list goes on and on and on and on. And I just feel so incredibly grateful to be able to share even just a few moments with any of those people, really just a few moments with anybody, because I feel like you can really learn from absolutely anybody that you're having a conversation with. Definitely. Of course. I mean, you learn new things every day. And I told you before we went on, I have like four pages of notes on you that I had to streamline down because there's just so much information out there. Of course, your YouTube show, you have your social media accounts, you have, you know, like you said, you're an entrepreneur also, which I'm going to talk about, but you're also a part of the Broadcast Film Critics Association. Now I read about a little bit about them. You have to be an actual broadcaster that is able to you know broadcast about um radio and tv and movies and film and all of that how do you how did they contact you or how did you contact them about being in, into something that big this actually happened when i was in cleveland i was reviewing movies in cleveland i had a i had a movie review segment actually 
every Thursday. It was called The Movie Ticket. And I would review one movie that was in theaters that weekend. And the Broadcast Film Critics Association, you actually have to apply to get in. Um, and I had to show them some of my reviews. I had to show them that it was happening consistently. And yeah, they, they, they looked at my application and then I got accepted. And so part of this, what the really cool thing is, you get to vote on the Critics' Choice Awards. So the Critics' Choice Awards happen at the start of every single awards season. And I'm one of the people who gets to vote on these awards and then also get to attend the awards ceremony. So it's been really cool. Part of that, you also get to see movies before everybody else, which is always, it's always a really fun thing. I mean, obviously we're not going to movies right now. Movie theaters, are, right. theaters aren't even open here in California. Are they open there? No, I don't think so. Maybe, but I mean, our gyms are closed, our restaurants are closed. So I have to imagine that the movie theaters are also closed. Yeah, I'd have to imagine they're closed too. But that was a really cool thing, like being able to see a movie a week or two, sometimes, you know, three weeks, a month before it came out. That was always a really cool thing. And how do you not spoil them? I mean, of course, there's certain movies where you're like, everybody's like, no spoilers. But then there's some movies where like, you know, you just kind of want to know in advance, like, oh, what to expect. I honestly, I've had a lot of times, like when you see a big movie, like Avengers, or I remember, I remember it was a really big deal when I saw Interstellar. And people would be like, so man, like, so, so what, what happens? I'm like, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> I, mean, I can't. I don't want to ruin it for you. But dude, I'm not even going to see the movie. I'm like, it's not my fault. I'm, 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 not, I'm not ruining this for you. Oh man, you're a bigger person than me. I'd be like, oh my God, so listen up. This is how it went. This is great. Because <laughs> I, get, I get so excited about things, like especially if it's a bigger movie like Star Wars or something. I'm like, oh man, like I go and my husband and I are big Star Wars fans. So we go like the premiere night in Montreal and we're like, yes. And then like, I'm like, okay, I can't talk about it for a while because <laughs> people are, you know, they don't get those kind of movies sell out here, you know, yeah. instantly. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I can't really talk about it until like a week later when people can other, other people can go see it. But it's hard when those movies it, come out for me, at least. I'm with you and it's not easy, but I'm just like, no, this is not my, <laughs> it's not my job to tell you what happened. <laughs> well, I know some of those movies I'm going in like, okay, especially this last Star Wars one. I was like, am I going to cry? Am I going to cry? And then I cried like 16 times during the movie. I was like, oh man. Oh. It was the end of an era. I mean, I just, it was hard, especially, well, we won't get into that because I'm sure, I'm sure some people still haven't seen it and I don't want to ruin yeah, for it. We if, don't want to spoil it for them. It, even though it's been like two years, but you know, it's okay. It's all right. By so the let, way, at the end of Titanic, the ship sinks. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Just in case you didn't know, just in case. <laughs> But going back to talking more about wrestling, in 2019, you were a part of AEW's first show, and then you did one other uh, backstage interview, I believe, with Rock and Roll Express, and then you just kind of disappeared. What happened there? Well, I was asked to be part of the first episode, and that was it. Like, I was just asked to be part of that first episode, which was such an amazing honor. Like, to be a tiny little part of the first wrestling show on TNT in almost 20 years was so, so cool. And I knew that that would be it. I knew that it would be just that one episode and, you know, maybe more would come around, but I didn't expect anything else. Mm -hmm. And I was part of that first show. It was so cool to be part of that. And then they called me a few weeks later to be part of that show in Charleston, West Virginia. And I did that segment with Rock and Roll Express that got interrupted by Santana and Ortiz, who were very yeah. scary men. <laughs> um, but it was so cool. Like, as a big wrestling fan myself, as someone who grew up watching this, it was so cool to be 
a little part of that. And, you know, I'll, I'll be forever grateful for the opportunity that the EVPs and Tony Khan gave me to, to have my voice on that show. Yeah, I mean, that has to be such a blessing. Is there a chance maybe we'll go back in the future and see you there? Sure, maybe. I mean, it's obviously a weird time right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything that's going on in the world. But yeah, I'm not opposed to anything. Maybe you, you'll see me pop up on AEW. Maybe you'll see me pop up in WWE. Maybe you'll see me pop up somewhere else. I don't know. Definitely. Well, I know when it came out, you had the little flyer that said uh, Chris Van Vliet is AEW All Elite. And I was like, oh, it was only a matter of time before somebody signed you. And then I was like, oh, I got two episodes. That's it. Like, because you are, you're one of those people, you're passionate about what you do. You know what you're talking about. You're, you know, good to look at on camera and everything. So it's like, why wouldn't you be on TV for something that you're so passionate about? So I thought it was only a matter of time before you got signed somewhere, but I was just surprised it was just those two dates. Well, at the same time, I, I kind of want to be a little bit like Joe Rogan in the way that yeah, he does UFC, he does comedy, like he does all these things, but he's not just the UFC guy. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, I interview lots of wrestlers. I also interview a lot of actors and comedians and, you know, thought leaders. I actually kind of like the fact that I have the ability to do you know, lots of different things. And I, like, I just had an audition last week for a big network show. And that's where my heart really is. Like, I love, I love pro wrestling. Wanted to be a pro wrestler. Like, I've been very fortunate to be able to be a ring announcer and, you know, do some stuff with AEW. But I love that I also have the option to do other stuff. And that's why I'm living in Los Angeles right now. So if, if I could... You know, I, I, I could hopefully one day be the octopus that is Joe Rogan. You know, he has one arm here that's UFC, one arm's comedy, one arm is hosting, one arm is the podcast. And I, I just love that. And we live in a world now where that's a complete possibility. And that's, that's an excellent way of thinking about it. I never thought about it like that. Like, I was just like, he deserves to be signed. Let's get him somewhere because he deserves that. He works hard. He knows what he's talking about. Let's do this. But now that you mention it that way, I mean, that's also another great way to look at it. And I mean, you said you just did an audition. It's not your only time that you've ever been in movies. You've actually been an extra in movies or TV shows quite a few times, actually. I love when you get your residual checks and they're like 88 cents or something. They have one on the fridge right now for 50 cents. Uh, it's been so cool. Uh, so I've been an extra in a bunch of different films and TV shows. But I've also, you know, had roles. I, I've, have, I've had speaking roles in three, four films. So Criminal Activities with John Travolta, The Bronze with Sebastian Stan and Melissa Rauch, and Love Finds You in Sugar Creek. Yeah, I guess it's three movies. But I'm, all, I, I'm also in the new Russo Brothers film, speaking of Cleveland. I played it. I was an extra in that film, but I'm in a pretty like pivotal scene. So when this movie called Cherry comes out, Tom Holland is the star of it. Keep an eye out for a face you might recognize in that movie. <laughs> well, you also just did a commercial too. I saw you. Yes. Both. Yeah. And I love doing this stuff. I, I, I never want to be, able, I never want to limit myself. I want to be able to do as many things as I can possibly do. And this is why I'm so inspired by someone. I obviously mentioned Joe Rogan, but so inspired by someone like Chris Jericho. And Chris Jericho is not only doing all the things he wants to do, music and his crews and a little bit of the bubbly and wrestling, he's the best at everything that he does. And I think there's something to, to be said about that. He's 50 years old and he's in the absolute prime of his career. 
He is. He's a chameleon. He changes everywhere he goes, but it's yeah. always for the betterment of Chris Jericho. I mean, yeah. I can't tell you when there was a character that wasn't over the way either heel or face that he needed to be. And it's amazing at what he does. And, you know, I can say the same thing about you, though. You're a big chameleon in different things you do. Obviously, we've talked about the podcasting, the broadcasting, the interview styles. And I mean, you're an extra in movies and doing speaking roles as well, but you also have your uh, bass fishing company, Wu Tungsten, that you also do. You, I looked at their website today. I mean, you're selling all sorts of fishing equipment to go bass fishing. Yeah, so the, the correct way to pronounce this, and you'll like this, is Woo Tungsten. <laughs> Ric Flair influenced. Which is a little inspired by Ric Flair, but mostly inspired by when you catch a giant bass, you're like, Woo, yeah! So yeah, I, I'm very passionate about, bra- about bass fishing. And when I'm passionate about something, I dive all the way into it. I don't check to see how deep the water is or where the temperature of the water is. I just dive all the way in and I'll figure it out once I get in there, figure out how to swim. But yeah, we've had Wu Tungsten now for a little over four years. And it's been such a great, incredible experience. The company's growing bigger than I could have ever imagined. And we sell the tungsten fishing weights specifically for bass fishing. For years, they were made out of lead, which is not great for the environment. And tungsten's a really good alternative to that. So me and my fishing partner, Aaron, yeah, we've uh, we built this thing up. I think I might have a, I think I have, I have a package laying around here somewhere. Let's see. I have a, oh, there we do. Okay. So we've got, uh, these are our Ned Head jigs, which you would put a little piece of plastic on that. And it's very delicious for a smallmouth bass. And there's our, there's our logo. Woo, Tungsten. <laughs> Very nice. And you've actually, you won an award there too. You won Big Fish of the Day in the Amateur Division in 2013, I think that was. That was in Lake Erie. Uh, that was in Sandusky. So I was living in Cleveland. I went out there and I fished in a lot of different tournaments. But Lake Erie is, like, is really special to me because, look, I lived two minutes from it when I lived in Cleveland. And I had a boat, which was a crazy thing to have a bass boat in downtown Cleveland. <laughs> but I would take my boat out to usually Sandusky and fish on Lake Erie. So yeah, that, that one meant a lot to me. Uh, and I haven't been, this is the funny thing. When you own a fishing company, you do a lot less fishing than you would think now. Oh, I can imagine. How is the bass fishing though in LA? I imagine it's pretty uh, rare. There, so I haven't, I haven't been fishing since I moved here, but there are some great like good bass fishing lakes here. Uh, Castillac, Clear Lake, the California Delta. Anybody who's listening to this who knows about bass fishing, they're like, oh yeah, I know what he's talking about. <laughs> and I mean, that's the thing. Like I said, you're just this chameleon. You just kind of fit in everywhere and you make the best of your own situation, no matter where, where it is you are. Well, thank you for saying that. I just, you know, I, this is it. We only have one shot at this thing. And if this is the only opportunity that we have to do this thing, why not go all out? Why not play full out? And that's, that's my whole idea here is love the things you love and like be passionate about them. Amazing. Now, like I said, we're, you're in all these different things. You're passionate about all these other things, but what does success look like to you? For me, success is defined as being excited for what you're going to do that day and then being proud of what you've accomplished at the end of that day. And I think that it's a day-to-day thing. That's what success is. I think success is a clean slate every single morning. 
and you have the opportunity to earn it or not that day. Interesting. I think that's beautiful the way you put it. So, but with all these things that you have going on, how do you manage your day to day schedule? Because you're just crazy with all the things you can go and do during the day. Well, you've got a busy day too. You know, it's, it's just about uh, managing your time and figuring out what's most important that day. Every night before I go to bed, I write out my get to do list. This isn't like the, so many people think of a to do list as like, oh, these are the things I have to do tomorrow. It's like, no, these are the things I get to do because I'm healthy or able bodied or, you know, I'm fortunate to be able to, you know, have some of these experiences. So I write them all down. And one of the cool things is as your day goes on, you can cross them off and you cross them off. You have this real sense of accomplishment at the end of the day. You're like, my God, I did 17 things today. This is amazing. So for me, it's just about prioritizing. It's about figuring out what's, what needs to be done tomorrow. What could wait till next week? What could wait till next month? And, you know, it's kind of going from there. Well, I definitely think like everything that you do and the way that you commit to things, it's inspirational for anybody, whether they're in pro wrestling or in broadcasting or in TV or in bass fishing. It's just amazing that you're so positive and, you know, like I said, an inspiration. Well, thank you. I think there's, there's no other way to be. You know, you've got a choice every single day. Are you going to be excited to get out of bed or are you going to, you know, dread the day. And that's up to you. Is the glass half full or is the glass half empty? Beautiful. I think that's a perfect way to wrap this up. And why don't you tell everybody your social media where they can follow you if they don't already? Well, thank you for having me on, Steffi. Congratulations yeah. to you on having a podcast. I always say the two hardest things about a podcast is number one, starting it. And number two, continuing it. And you've done both. So congratulations. And you can find me online I'm at Chris Van Vliet everywhere, V-A-N-V-L-I-E-T. Wonderful. And don't forget to visit his website for his uh, Woo Tungsten. WooTungsten.com. <laughs> for all your bass fishing needs and everything. Chris, thank you once again for being a part of my show. I mean, I told you once before, you know, you were a big inspiration. And for me, even wanting to do a podcast, I'm like, hey, I could do that too. That would be fun. And with us having, like I said, similar, similar different Similar, but different paths, I guess you could say. And you're doing it. So merci beaucoup. Uh, yeah, thank, thank you so much. Oh, merci beaucoup. So thank you guys. This is Talking Sass. We'll see you guys next time. What an amazing guest was Chris. I mean, honestly, his list of accomplishments just goes on and on and on. And he's still out there doing more and more things. It's just amazing. You know, I need to do that. Get more things done. And, you know, I'll follow his... Uh, Vague goals get vague results, right? <laughs> All right, guys. Until next time, this is Sassy Steffi. Make sure you go and follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Sassy Steffi. And make sure you subscribe to Talking Sass on whichever platform you are listening or watching in on. Until next time, guys. Hey, this is Total Package. Lex Luger. You're listening to the VOC Nation. Don't miss out. Check out In The Room. Every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Kathy Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you and Ray are there too, right, Ray? We sure are. And we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Kaku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then uh, pregnant. I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into like snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation.
wrestling with history, the voice of choice, and Killer Ken Resnick. When I die, they're going to open me up and find about 2,000 undigested Northwest Airline cheese omelets. Mr. Chris Cruz, what's going on? Jesus, how did I get roped into this? General Adnan went to school with Saddam Hussein. He cried, I cried, he cried, and who could have Adnan lost a lot of family in the Iraqi war. Everybody loves Granny. Wow. Yeah, see, a lot of people don't know that. Yes, Taylor, you guys are busting me up. Catch Wrestling With History with Ken Resnick and I live on VOCNation.com Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern Time or listen to the podcast by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Stadium Journey, the worldwide leader in stadium reviews for the traveling sports fan, is proud to present the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. Join us as we talk with prominent figures from around the sports world to discuss issues pertaining to sports travel and stadiums around the globe. New episodes air on VOC Nation Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Join Paul Baker, Dave Cartney, Mark Viquez, Dan Calachico, and guests from throughout the sports world on the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. Each and every Thursday night, check it out, WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro, talking old school match of the week, talking dream matches, taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out, VOCNation.com, WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation radio network. Yo, this is Jerry Stags of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs here. You getting ready to get nasty? Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby, because it's about to get nasty all around and up in this mother. Get ready. Nasty Sensation is coming at you. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network.